Don't know if you're old enough to remember the American Express commercial membership has its privileges. Uh, I remember at the time thinking it was kind of snotty sounding. Membership has its privileges. Um, it somehow or another worked for them for a season, and then they ceased using it. And it could have potentially been because of that very thing. When you think of membership, I oftentimes think about my childhood where my family didn't have the resources to belong to a country club, and others in my neighborhood were at the country club, were members. There was a movie I used to love where the, the, one of the lines my brother-in-law and I constantly uh, quote to one another is, Mom, he's a caddy, not a member. And, and it just, so the idea of membership sort of always carried with it an exclusivity that I didn't like all that much. You know, like I, I didn't, is there, and, and I've had this personality that kind of tends towards when they say, hey, we have a club over here. I'm always like, well, I don't want to be in your club. I think I'll just start my own club over here. Or I just kind of have this anti-personality. It's really bad. Uh, membership sometimes has been a bad thing, and you think if it's excluding people because of things that are not good to exclude people for, then it's really a bad thing. Uh, but I think there are times we also understand the necessity for it. For instance, it's political season, and it's time for you to figure out who you're going to vote for. I found this little gem of a picture online to give you an idea of who you have to choose from. Um, I think there are only two Democratic presidential candidates, and the rest are Republicans, and I think there are some independents in there somewhere. I do not get to vote in a primary because I am not a registered Democrat or Republican. Uh, I had a media career before I went into ministry, and then I became a pastor, and it just seemed appropriate for me not to identify with one particular political party or another. Uh, But at the same time, uh, I recognize that it's important for them that they'd be able to say the person who's going to be involved in helping us choose our presidential candidate ought to have to be a part of a member of our political party. So there are times when it's necessary. As it comes to churches, some people have asked, why do you have membership? Well, we formalize membership in churches because we want to be certain of two things. One is we want to be certain who actually wants to be a member of the body and actually so we know who we can and should properly care for. In other words, when you become a member at a church, you are saying to the elders and the shepherds and the people who are caregivers at the church, if you don't see me for six months, I really would like you to email me or call and say, how's it going? How come I haven't seen you? Are you doing okay? Otherwise, you kind of sort of think that's a little creepy. Leave me alone. So we want to know, because we don't want to get up in your kitchen if you're saying to us, you know, hey, listen, I didn't give you freedom to make this call. So we really want to care for people as we're supposed to, but we sort of have to know who wants us to do that. Uh, As well, uh, we use the membership process, for lack of a better word, as a screening process for people who will teach in the church. So you would definitely want, if you had little kids and they were going off to Sunday school, you would want to know for sure that we had found out that the person who was teaching your kids in Sunday school wasn't cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, right? You know what I mean? I mean, you know, and what were the important things that they had to agree with the church about before they went and instructed the children that you can't be saved unless you drink a lot of Kool-Aid or something crazy, you know, you'd want to know that a leader actually was uh, responsible 
and had the ability uh, to teach correctly. So for us, we, also, we, we wanted to be careful in terms of who influences the church. Membership is, by definition, formalizing your inclusion into a body of believers. And unlike politics, it's not about the person who's going to get elected. It's all about the team here. The Bible speaks of a structure to Christ's body, the church. And while it means that it's correct doctrinally for you to think of the church as an informal, invisible, knit together by the Spirit's presence kind of body, that would be true. If the Spirit of the Lord lives in every believer, then there is what theologians call an invisible church that transcends the church's walls. But it would be biblically incorrect to say that this is all that the church is. There is a clear biblical direction about what the visible church of Jesus Christ is to look like, how it is to function, and how it is to be governed. Thus, to make clear to all who gather here, we have a membership process that makes certain we're all clearly understanding each other from the get-go. As Tammy mentioned, today we're starting a nine-week sermon series entitled, We Are the Body. And it is for us a series on church membership to clarify what it means to be a part of Prism Church. At the conclusion of this nine-week series, we'll allow those who've attended Prism for six months to make application for membership, and then you'd schedule a meeting with two of our elders at the same time, share your story, and then join Prism Church either on April 10th or April 17th as part of the inaugural membership class of Prism. Now, we do this because there have been a few people that have been at Prism for a really long time, and when we told them we're going to have a membership class, they understandably said, you mean the years we've logged don't count for something? <laughs> so we said, <laughs> so we said, hey, listen, what we're going to do is we're going to have nine weeks where we explain to everybody what it means to be members. We, we talk about it in church. We'll preach through sections of scriptures that we're going to preach through in the future with, with regards to membership classes. And then the first group can just use Sunday, Sunday morning as their membership class. But next fall, we'll actually have a formal three Saturday or three Sunday a membership class that you'll you'll go through and we'll teach these seminars one after the next and have breaks and opportunities to meet folks so it won't certainly be the last time we have a membership class in fact starting next fall we'll have them every fall and every spring so there will be plenty of opportunities for people to become members of the church in the years ahead for now we're going to launch into this nine piece uh, sermon series and the first three messages in this series fall under the heading of gospel grace. We're talking about the things that are means of grace by which God reaches to us, and we start with the discussion of the church as a whole, God's people, the body. That this is not just something that we do because we're required to do it. It is a means by which we experience Him, His grace. We see His glory through each other, the collected, assembled church. And in all of its varying facets and people's giftings, we see more of who God is. And so I have three thoughts today on the subject, particularly from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
I begin with verses 12 through 14 and make the most obvious statement of the day, and that is that God's people really are one body. God's people really are one body. Hear what the scriptures say in verses 12 through 14. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So what Jesus is saying is, my physical body has a lot of different appendages, but it's one. And in very much the same way, if you are part of the church, you are a part of the body whether you really want to be or not. You are, if in Christ, part of the church. You are made by him to be one with everybody else. And the body has an important role In verse 13, it says, In one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. The church body's purpose is to be the physical manifestation of Jesus to people. We just got done celebrating Christmas, Advent, where we rejoice that God was incarnated In the man, Jesus Christ, we call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Well, the body of Christ is the incarnation continuously of Jesus in our neighborhood, in our workplaces, in our city. We do things collectively, and what we do collectively is what people see Jesus doing in their midst. And in verse 13, we actually see a couple of elements that are required of church membership. And this is where, if you ever wondered why, this is where this would come from. In verse 13, it says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. We see that the members of Christ's body have two things in common. They are one in spirit, and they were all baptized. Diverse as we are, every believer in Jesus literally possesses in his or her physical body the Holy Spirit of God. Once you said, I want to follow Jesus, it wasn't like signing up to be a Democrat or a Republican. You, you don't get to change your mind later. What happens if that genuine faith experience takes place is the spirit of the living God comes in and transforms your soul. It's a lot like what we did when we uh, took over the chapel this past year. The first thing we did was schedule three months of cleanup projects. See, we came in, we cleansed this place, we, we renewed it, we brought it to life again for the purposes of our church. When the Holy Spirit comes into your heart, he comes in, he cleans house, a deep cleaning, all right? And this cleaning that he does is to make room for his presence because he's not going to live someplace that's not been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. The Holy Spirit lives in anybody who professes to be a believer. The Spirit lives in them. This is the one thing that knits us together. It unifies us. We are one Spirit. And once a person is confirmed to be a Christian by virtue of a credible profession of saving faith, each Spirit-dwelled believer is baptized. Hence, before a person become, can become a member of a particular church, that is, in this case, PRISM, They must be indwelled by the Spirit and water baptized. Peter said this in the book of Acts after preaching his Pentecost sermon, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. I know it's tough to imagine looking at me today, but in high school I ran on the cross-country team. I'm not certain I could run to the parking lot at my age now, but I'll tell you, if you think it's weird for you, uh, imagine going to my 20th class reunion where I was 60 pounds, maybe 70 pounds heavier than I was in high school and had no hair. People were like, I think I see you. Yeah, that's Chuck. I think, you know, it was really sort of hard for me. Um, Don't know if you know much about how cross-country works. A lot of people erroneously think that cross-country is an individual sport. And while you may be running all by yourself, um, the, the reality is, is it is a team competition. And the way a cross-country race or a cross-country competition is scored is it is the cumulative places of the first five runners on your team. So if there are 250 racers, runners, represented by how many ever teams that is, somewhere in the neighborhood of 70 to 80, and your team is really good, you finish first, second, third, fourth, and 250th, that is not a good team score. You see, because it's the cumulative. So your first four runners may have been terrific, but if that fifth runner finishes last, then you're out of luck. You're likely not going to win with a score of 250 plus the first four placers. You see, team is what it's all about. They need each other. They're only as good as their weakest runner. And and this is really the, the... metaphor for the church. Uh, The church is a body, and it is only as strong as the weakest part of it. It's a collective that works to bring glory to Jesus. God's people really are one body. Here's my second thought for you this morning from our passage. God's people really do need each other. I mean, we say that, like, yeah, I need others. No, I mean, you really need others. You and I sometimes think we don't. We think, well, I can manage without them. I can avoid that portion of my world for a while. And you can't. You need others. I need you. The church's bodies uh, uh, is designed to encourage and strengthen each other. And here's what the scriptures say in verse 15. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would would be the sense of smell? Paul's use of sarcasm here is great because it justifies my continual use of it. I love it because what he is saying, in fact, is that not only is it foolish for someone who's not an ear to pretend they're an ear, but it is detrimental to the body. And and really, this discontent is is multifaceted. Uh, Verse 15 seems to say that some will not embrace their place in the church because they erroneously think that if they're not a hand, they're not needed. Practically, what that would look like is you or me sitting there and saying, I don't need to be a part of this because I am not that thing, whatever it is. For others, it's a deeper need. The other part of this denial of ourselves and a denial of the gift God has given us is is feeling badly about what part of the body we are 
because in our minds we've determined that we're only going to be part of the body if we, if we get to be a part of it that we consider really important. So we have something twisted in our head that says that this particular role, this particular part of the body is important. And because I have this desperate need to feel important, I'm going to force myself into that role. Now, I've seen this do wreak havoc on churches before. And we'll get to more of the heart issue in just a minute, but I, practically speaking, I want you to see how that would play out. I think that Brooks and the worship team up here are really cool, and they do like amazing things in leading us in worship, and I just think being a musician is cool. And so because it, may, it would make me feel good to be a musician and to sing, um, next week I would introduce myself as the worship leader at the church. And it wouldn't take too many Sundays before somebody would graciously remind me, Chuck, you have some gifts. Worship leading isn't one of them. You see, I can't harm you, distract you in worship by singing off key and, and, and whatever else I would do that would make it hard for you to just focus on the Lord because I have some desperate need in my life because I foolishly imagined that that means I'm an important part of the body. If I can't be a hand, I don't know that I really want to be in the body. Paul wants us to understand that we all need each other. I need you. I don't know what some of you do, but I can tell you that I need you. Perhaps you don't know what you have to offer, but I assure you that if you are part of the body of Christ spiritually, you are part of the body of Christ practically. God made you, and there is an unending number of things that you can do to be a blessing to a church, particularly this little church. You may have noticed as you pulled in today, our first parking attendant, Dean, in his orange jumpsuit. Pretty cool, huh? We're getting up there. Moving on up. We got ourselves a guy out there with our orange flag. But I, I, I was thinking to myself, I bet I could sketch out a small list of things that we need done. You say, well, what gifts do I have? Well, let me very quickly read off this very short list that I've created. We need greeters, nursery workers, ushers, community group leaders, community group hosts, hospitality members, Sunday setup people, plan meals for hospitalized, building and ground team members, painters, repair people, finance team members, mercy and mission team members, musicians, Sunday kids, teachers, Kids event, team planners, graphic designers, accountants, generous givers, prayer warriors, counselors, and most of all, good listeners. And that's just a really abbreviated list. I don't know what your gift is, but it's important. A body doesn't make it. Paul even said as much. We referenced this verse last week in Romans chapter 12. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith. Do you ever feel like you don't matter? I've felt that before. I really do. Maybe if you think about the body of Christ, uh, perhaps like me at times you may have said, I feel like, like a toe on the body of Christ kind of hidden away, you know, I kind of smell, you know, I, I just, I'm, 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 I'm not very significant. People can't even see me. I'm generally disguised in something much more attractive like a shoe. 
you know, and so I just have this role where I just don't feel like I have any real meaning at all. But I, I had two things happen in high school at two different occasions. Once, is I, once I got a really bad ingrown toenail. I don't know if you've ever had one of those before, like surgically needing, like re- fiercely ugly. The other thing I did once was I was running around my house with my bare feet. Have you ever caught your pinky toe on the couch or something and have that thing like bend out at like a 90 degree angle? Oh, brutal kind of stuff. Well, try throwing on a pair of running shoes after one of those incidents and running in a cross-country race. How significant now is the toe? Pretty darn much. I mean, listen, if you, if you, if you don't believe me, just try to enjoy your day after smashing your toe. And this is the truth of the body, is that you and I all matter, whether you feel like it or not. When you're hurting, the body's hurting you, the body does not function like it's supposed to. And, and so we're, we're there. We're there to care for each other. God's people really do need each other. God's people really are one body. And the final thought I have for you today is this, that God really knew what he was doing with his people. He, he doesn't make mistakes. He really knew what he was doing when he set it up this way. Verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 12, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Boy, this is important for us to emphasize. He did what he did because he knew what he wanted to do. This is not something God, you know, looks back with regret and says, you know, I just wish I'd made this person or that person differently. He knew what he was doing. If all were a single member, it says in verse 19, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And I know what it feels, the sense of insignificance that comes from believing that you don't matter much. It's a common struggle, but it is, according to the word, a falsehood. God arranged the members in the body exactly as he chose. He created each of us with unique gifts to fit exactly where he wants. He did this for his glory so he can be seen in your gifts usage. But he also did it for our good so that we can know the joy and experience joy as he works through us according to his plan. You don't believe that he knew what he was doing? Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verses 13 and 16. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in the secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Here's the thing, friend. If we're struggling about who we are, our struggle is ultimately with God. We are questioning his wisdom in making us the way he did or placing us where he did. And this questioning should lead us to a deep reflection about whether or not being known and loved by God as his child is really enough. All of our pursuits of pleasure or position or power or provision, all of the things that we think are going to, that 
If I can just get that, I'm going to be happy. If I can just win the Powerball, I'm going to be happy. If I, can, if I can just get that new job, if I can just get married, if I can just, uh, just have my spouse just change overnight, if, they, uh, if we can just have that, then we will know joy. Jesus is asking you and I, is it possible for us to know joy, to know the sense of his presence and fullness independent of our circumstances, that we could genuinely say that being a child of God is enough? One of my theological heroes is Charles Spurgeon. In one of his devotionals recently, he commented on this subject, and I thought I'd read it for you today. Quote, the capacity of our wishes, who can measure? But the immeasurable wealth of God can more than overflow it. I ask thee if thou art not complete when God is thine. Dost thou want anything but God? Is not his all-sufficiency enough to satisfy thee if all else should fail? But thou wantest more than quiet satisfaction. Thou desirest rapturous delight. Come, soul, here is music fit for heaven in this, in this thy portion. For God is the maker of heaven. Not all the music blown from sweet instruments or drawn from living strings can yield such melody as this sweet promise, I will be their God. Here is a deep sea of bliss, a shoreless ocean of delight. Come, bathe thy spirit in it. Swim an age, and thou shalt find no shore. Dive throughout eternity, and thou shalt find no bottom. I will be their God. If this does not make thine eyes sparkle and thy heart beat high with bliss, then assuredly thy soul is not in a healthy state. My mom came to every one of my sporting events. My dad traveled quite a bit as a, as a, when I was a kid. And in this picture of me going forward to receive my cross-country medal, you'll see just to my right a middle-aged woman in a light brown jacket. That's my mom clapping for her son. Uh, as I was working my way through these pictures, I, I remember thinking at the time how... Uh, how strange it was that she came to everything, but then I had my own kids. And I wouldn't miss their events uh, for anything in the world. My, uh, my children, when they were in high school, my daughter cheered and my son played football. And so their mom and I would go to games and we would sit and watch our daughter. And then when our son was in the game, we'd watch him. And then we'd go back to our daughter. And it was heaven. It really was because we were seeing our kids doing what they loved doing. They both had such joy doing the things they loved doing. And it is in the best interest of the body of Christ of which you are a part. And this particular manifestation is our church. It is in the best interest of our church that we all know that God has made us, that he made us good, and that he takes great delight in seeing himself glorified in the lives of the children who compose his body. It is critical for us to know Jesus, for us to experience him through our collective body, that we all are at peace 
with who he made us to be. And that's a growing project. That's a, a continual searching and dis- rediscovering of, of his love and his kindness. And it's, it's a continual experience of knowing he's enough and being okay because God really knew what he was doing with his people. Not only that, God's people really do need each other. God's people really are one body. We are that body. Let us pray. Today, Lord Jesus, we again humbly come to you because um, we know that naturally we're going to start chasing down all of the things of this world as if they can uh, give our soul the satisfaction it's longing for. Your word tells us that you are the source of life-giving water. So I pray that you'd help us today to drink deeply from that. I pray that you would help PRISM to be a, a healthy place, a body of believers, where by discovering and rediscovering the joy of being your beloved daughters and sons, we could then settle into who you made us to be and with great joy see you use us in a significant way even if it's not a prominent way, that we would be at, at peace knowing that we are doing that which brings you glory. So meet us here today as we celebrate again the joy of having you remind us of that when we gather together in church. For we worship you, Jesus, and pray in your name. Amen.